0: Hi everyone, I'm Suzanne Ricci, the Chief Success Officer of Computer Coach, and you're tuning into Talent Acquisition Talks, where job seekers get real-world advice from the top talent acquisition professionals, recruiters, career coaches, resume writers, and more. I'm asking the questions that you want the answers to, so let's get to it. Welcome everyone. Today I have the pleasure of talking with Michael Terry. Michael is the HR Director at Bankers Financial and has been the HR Director for the last seven years. I'm really excited for today's conversation. We're going to discuss job seeker best practices. So Michael, thank you for joining me today.
1: Absolutely, my pleasure.
0: So this is an interview I've really been looking forward to. I have to be honest, I'm really interested in looking forward to hearing your sincere advice. You have great experience in the entire job seeker process, right? Not just writing resumes or interviewing techniques, but you really have seen the entire process. Let's get started with some questions that we get asked quite a bit. I'm Great. really interested to hear your response to this. Mm-hmm. Is there a type of resume that you think works best for job seekers? You hear about chronological, functional, combination. What do job seekers need to do to get an interview?
1: Well, really, I believe that um, you know, simple is better. And, you know, the, I've seen a lot of the, the mixed up and uh, funky kind of resumes that, you know, some consultant at some point along the way has decided, oh, this is the next best thing. <clears throat> really, when it comes to resumes, you have to think that there are people that are looking at those, right? So when you get uh, fancy, for lack of a better term, with a resume, I've seen all sorts of crazy formatting stuff. And I've even seen uh, career uh, services, at colleges help students write resumes the wrong way because they're not preparing them knowing that there's a human on the other side that's gonna be reading that. So from my perspective, traditional is best. It should be chronological. Of course, you should probably start with a summary about yourself at the top, just as an opener that also creates a nice formatting break before you just jump into your job history. But chronological, Resumes work best for me. The recruiters that um, I have on my team, they prefer that as well. Um, it's what we're used to. And it's been that way for a long time for a reason. It makes sense. It lets us see you know, a full picture of your work history without having to ask a whole lot of questions, but also then prepares us for those more honed questions that we want to ask when we ultimately get on the phone with you.
0: I love that you describe them as funky formats because it's one of the things I see a lot too. And I see it, as you said, in a more modern, I guess, situation where people are putting these graphical scales of their skills on resumes or pie graphs or something. And I always say to job seekers, that's subjective. You know, advanced Excel for me and advanced Excel for you could be very different and so I'm exactly. glad to hear that you think traditional because that's something that I really And too, you
1: know, a lot of applicant tracking systems, they won't read the um, these like graph. I've seen resumes that look like an infographic more than a resume. And the applicant tracking system doesn't know what to do with that. So you just get an errored out document.
0: So that's interesting. Let's talk about the ATS and some of the mistakes that job seekers make on the resume. So I hear you loud and clear. The infographic looking resumes or those charts that they add, that's probably a mistake. But from the ATS perspective, what are some of the other mistakes that job seekers make on their resumes?
1: Again, the formatting will be wrong or they'll use a uh, file format that isn't supported by your applicant tracking system. So, I mean, when it comes to resumes, they either need to come in Word, they preferably need to come in PDF, you know, and with Um, every new operating system, whether you're on an Apple or um, just a regular PC, you can save any Word document PDF just with one click. So think about when you send the PDF, you're really locking that information in there. So if you do have any hidden formatting elements that are behind the scenes that maybe you don't even see in your Word document, those will get stripped out. The PDF is really the cleanest format. So then you know that we're getting to see an image of your resume that is an accurate depiction of what you intended it to be. So the formatting is a big piece. Um, other it, right? errors that people make um, on resumes, well, really the biggest error that people make on resumes is spelling and grammatical mistakes. But <laughs> so the rule of thumb there is you do not send a resume that has spelling and grammar errors in it, especially when whatever software you're using to write that in usually word nowadays, it will underline those errors for you, which tells the recruiter this person did not pay attention or they did not think that this job was important enough for them to hone that resume um, to the best that it could be. And if that isn't the case, then ask a friend or family member to read it for you to make sure that it makes sense to an onlooker. Just because it makes sense and it reads well and it's formatted well to you you gotta remember that you're the person who created it. And uh, most of the time we are our, our worst own editors.
0: Sure, absolutely, reading too fast and we're reading what we want it to say as compared to what it actually says. But let me ask you about that. We are all human, we all make mistakes. Do job seekers really get eliminated because there are grammar or spelling errors in a resume?
1: It really depends on the job. And I have excluded many. Um, If I'm hiring a person for into an entry level, let's say it's an entry level customer service role, maybe they're just fresh out of school, or haven't had a lot of work experience. Of course, I'm going to, I'm going to remember that when I'm reading their resume, and then the person gets a little forgiveness, right, because they haven't had enough practice. This might this might be the first one they've ever written, for all I know. As people, um, as you see those resumes that have you know more extended work experience, higher levels of education, the importance of the resume being free of spelling and grammar errors becomes more and more important, because you have to think about the type of job the person is going into. Almost every role requires some level of being detail oriented. And in those more, you know, um, higher level or more professional positions, that it, it just it's expounded. So, you know, detail being detail oriented is extremely important, and it's reflected in the resume.
0: Well, there we have it, job seekers. I hope you're listening. If you're putting detail oriented on your resume, then it needs to be spelling and grammar. I guess grammar errors, (laughs) error free, we'll say.
1: You would be surprised at the number of resumes where a person will list a skill or they will describe themselves as detail oriented and then they misspell oriented.
0: Well, you know what? I think Grammarly is a great investment. I have to tell you, (laughs) it is a great app. I I highly suggest everybody get it. But again, I want to hear your opinions today. So I'm really excited about this. Okay, on to our next topic. And this is something that job seekers really need. They need to know the truth, which is, I mean, it needs to be put out there. What did job seekers who have gaps on a resume do? And let's start with defining what is a gap? Like if I've been job searching for four months, is that a gap?
1: I guess I could answer that in two ways. Let me start with what a gap would be. Resumes more and more will only include the month and the year for the duration of time that you were at a, in a job, right? Years ago, they used to you get they would people put exact dates. that's not really necessary anymore. but when we see, more than a few months of gap on a resume, we're gonna wonder what happened. Now, if it's a few months, as recruiters, we'll start to guess. We will assume that maybe there was a layoff or something just didn't go right at the last job and it took them a couple of months to find a new position. If I see a year, there's a red flag, I'm gonna star that and I'm definitely going to be asking a question about what was going on over the past year. Anything over that, now this isn't true for me and the folks that are on my team, but I have seen recruiters that if there's a greater than a year gap, they'll just skip that resume. They'll discard it and move on to the next person because they you have to remember for every job we post, we're getting hundreds and hundreds, sometimes thousands of resumes to review. And again, that's a human being that is doing the resume review. And if it feels like too much of a burden, if the resume is too much work, they're gonna discard it. It's unfortunate, but it's true. What I have seen unique to some resumes, I think people who have really thought this out, they will put a, you know the period of time that, that has the gap. Let's say they needed to leave work for a period of time to take care of an, an ailing parent. That, that happens frequently they'll put on the resume that period of time that they were um, away from the workforce and they'll just write intentional time away from work. That tells me that they, they needed to take that time off for a personal reason. They're also smart enough to know that I would wonder why they weren't working for that period of time. And then they'll know that I'll probably bring it up You know, when we get to the phone screening or the interview phase. Um, And there are, I mean, there are lots of reasons that people need to take off time. We we all have friends or family members who have probably had to do that, so we understand. But calling it out directly on the resume to let the viewer know that this was intentional, I think, says a lot.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. What about if it? So if it's personal, and I just happen to be fortunate enough that I can take time off, then you know, putting it on the resume, I totally hear that. But what about if it's for medical? And I noticed you studied law too. So I'm eager to hear your response on this. What if I had a medical situation? How do I list that? I mean, I don't necessarily want to put my stuff out there, but what do I, what do, I do?
1: So never put anything related to your medical history on your resume. There are several laws that HR professionals must abide by. And having, if you disclose something related to your medical A history on your resume. One, we're not going to ask about it. If anyone never does, know that they shouldn't. But employees, candidates have protections. You know, there's the EEOC. There are GINA laws. There's lots of statutes and regulations that prevent us from asking questions related to your medical history. So I would go back to that that same suggestion. Just write on the resume that this period of time was off intentionally Um, And then if, let's say, I'm the interviewer, when I bring it up, well, you know, what was this period of time for? The candidate, all they need to say is it was a medical-related issue. Any recruiter worth his or her salt will immediately stop asking that line of questioning and move on.
0: You know, I hear that from talent acquisition professionals all the time, that they don't want to know any of the details, just tell the truth and the interview will move on. So that's-
1: You know, and here's a tip for, um, you know, any, any recruiters that are listening out there. It is the human natural inclination that when someone says something that would be sad or drive emotion, our natural response is to ask more questions about it, to, you know, to say, oh, are you doing okay now? Or, oh, how are you feeling? Or I hope that wasn't, you know, a, a major crisis. Avoid all of that. You don't want to, you don't want to incite any more conversation about a medical issue.
0: What happens if the recruiter doesn't avoid it? What do you think job seekers should do? I got this question this morning, funny enough.
1: Well, that's actually a really good question. Be 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 prepared for the interviewer to not have enough cooth to stop asking questions and then prepare for that with whatever level of comfort you have. For disclosing that information so you can always you know write yourself a couple of notes about you know bullets about how you would answer a question if it were um, diving too deep and if prepared properly the person on the other line will get the hint that this probably isn't something you're comfortable
0: with prepare those interview responses so absolutely important. yeah so how far back on a resume does a candidate need to go at this point
1: you mean how how far back in their employment history? Yes. Well, again, I'm sorry. All my questions have caveats, or answers have caveats, but <laughs> it really does depend on the length of time that a person has been in the workforce. So, for let's use a student as our um, first comparator. Let's say I, a person has just graduated from college. They may not have a lengthy work history if, if school work was you know, what they've been doing for the past eight years or more you know they will have shorter resumes typically but then also in an effort to make that resume not feel short to them they will add a great deal of fluff that is completely unnecessary but you you get it right it's a student and they want to put their best foot, uh, foot forward however we have we've actually had a, a very robust internship program at our company for a long time in which we, before our students leave the internship, we coach each of them on their resume building so that they get the best opportunities once they leave our internship program, assuming that we don't hire them, which we usually try to do. And my advice usually is, it doesn't need to be as long as you think it does. Just put the information on there that you have, and the person who's reading it is gonna know right away that you're just not old enough or you haven't been in the workforce long enough to have a lengthy resume. The opposite side of that is we have those candidates who've been in the workforce for a very long time. They are extremely well accomplished. They um, feel like they want to uh, let the viewer know, the reader of the resume, how accomplished they are. And so then we'll receive resumes that are four pages long again, you have to remember your audience. The resume reviewer is a human and they are not going to read four pages of information. So I I find it's best when you have those folks who've been in the workforce for a long time, they're well accomplished, limit that resume to two pages and simply near the end of your work experience section, you can put, I've seen lots of different responses for this, but various other positions held between whatever years or simply various other positions held prior to you know, the last date of the last job on the resume. So there are ways of shortening that because two, if you are, let's just say you're a 60 year old job seeker and you have had you know, uh, 40 years worth of work experience at 10 different companies, I don't need to see all of that. I care about what you've been doing maybe the last 10 years Maybe a little longer, depending on the role I'm seeking to hire. But um, yeah, I, I don't need to see the rest of that. I, I will assume that you also had positions, you know, prior to 1990.
0: I always tell job seekers to mirror the job description. I always say seven to 10 years is good. But if it says 10 plus years experience, well, then list that you have 15 years So that, you know, you're in line with what the expectation of the job is. What about individuals who have been at the same company for 20 or 30 years? That's a lot. That's very difficult for some individuals to write a resume when they've been at only one company. What advice do you have for listeners who fall into that? Well,
1: one, when I get a resume for someone who's been working at a company for 20 years, they're going in the keep pile immediately. That says that speaks volumes about what potential this person might have um, for the for the uh, the candidates that I'm hiring. Right? You love tenure on a resume. So one, kudos. Two, a great way to do that is you know you can list the company and then the number of years that you've been with the company in its entirety. Let's just say from uh, 2000 to 2021. But then once you underneath that, you can create small subcategories of the jobs you've held. A great reason to do that is it shows that you started off, for example, in customer service in 2000. In 2003, you were promoted to customer service level two. In year five, you were promoted to be a manager of the department. So that constant progression on the resume when you've had one job, one, it tells you that the person is, well, I'm not a job hopper, which is great. And two, that other people along their career path had enough faith in them and saw enough in that individual that they knew it was time for them to move up. So, um, you know, that says a lot about a person's um, ambition as well.
0: In the HR world, how do you define job hopper?
1: Oh my gosh, you could ask 10 recruiters that question and you would probably get 12 different answers. <laughs> we do not, so rule of thumb, jobs that you've had under two years without an explanation for re- leaving, like a layoff or you know the company went out of business, whatever. Under two years, the, the recruiter is gonna wonder why. If I see that over and over again, you know, a year and a half at X company, then followed by a year and a half at Y company, followed by six months at Z company, the human recruiter who's reading that resume is going to assume that you can't keep make up your mind. You don't know really what you want in life. And, and by not knowing what you'd like, it looks on paper like you're not a very good decision maker. Now, you could, ask, you could ask other people, even on my team, you would get a different answer about what job hopper looks like. Some people say once they've been there, you know, over a year, then that's fine and they're not concerned about that. But you also have to think about you're, you're the first reviewer of the resume for the company. That resume then, once you decide the candidate is qualified, that goes to another human, the hiring manager. They're going to have the same or similar viewpoints about the frequency of job changes on that resume. And they will be different from mine. Those explanations for those changes in jobs have to be very well prepared. You expect if you get a phone screen or an in-person interview on a resume where you have multiple job changes over a few year period, that will probably be a big focus for that interview and be prepared for that. Those questions can be hard.
0: Do you think candidates who take contracts should put that on their resume then? For example, this was a contract, this was a contract.
1: Absolutely. Every single time. Right there in parentheses, just put um, contract role. And that tells us, you know, it, that, w- that was the intention. The, you, knew, you went into that knowing there was only going to be um, six months to a year or whatever that period of time was. And then you made that uh, decision consciously.
0: Good information. Thank you. So we started talking a little bit about the applicant tracking systems. I'm going to circle back to that because that's one of the things right now, especially during the current situation, right? We're in the middle of a pandemic. Many people, their only method of applying is through online, which means more than likely in the vast majority of companies, their resume is going to get scanned by an applicant tracking system. The statistics that are out there are not in the job seekers' favor as far as getting human eyes on their resume if it's going into an applicant tracking system. Let's be real. You keep saying getting human eyes on the resume, right? It's gonna be read by a human. How many of the resumes that are coming into your organization through an applicant tracking system, I mean, is there really this disqualified pile and qualified pile that we hear about as job seekers?
1: It, It is almost an urban myth. Not quite, because applicant, some applicant tracking systems are very smart, and they can scan and parse the resume to find those keywords, and then, you know, they, they don't necessarily put them in a disqualified pile, but it doesn't go in the review immediately pile. Let's put it that way. However, most companies can't afford those expensive applicant tracking systems. My company is one of those, and we're a pretty good-sized company. I would never pay the kind of money... For an applicant tracking system that would contain that much artificial intelligence capability. So if your resume comes to my company, a human is looking at it. No, we have we have lots of different humans who have to look at them because we get so many, right? But you know, your your smaller or mid-sized companies, they're not spending the money on those really large, super expensive applicant tracking systems that have that artificial intelligence built in. And, you know, with each applicant tracking system, it's a little different, you know, what they consider artificial intelligence. Some can scan for keywords and then provide you a list of resumes that contain those keywords. But there isn't there isn't a gremlin marching around inside of the applicant tracking system doing most of the human work. Your Your resume can get excluded, but it's not as often as you think.
0: Well, that is actually great to know and it is human resources right so yep. i'm glad to hear that <laughs> i'm actually glad to hear that it's you know very humanized yeah and, and
1: i'll be i'll be honest with you let's let's throw out a large company's name am i allowed to do that yeah okay so let's say you are applying to a microsoft or an amazon the number of resumes that they get in a given day would be impossible. It would take their. It would take Amazon's entire uh, stocking staff to stop doing what they're doing and just help review resumes. Amazon and Microsoft can afford to spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on applicant tracking systems that can help parse the resumes to get just the ones that are truly qualified in front of the reviewer, but most companies are not Microsoft or Amazon.
0: No, I mean, applicant tracking systems range from free to multi-million dollar systems. And I think that's something job seekers really need to understand because- Absolutely. The complexity is definitely very different. So you would be
1: surprised at how many small and even some medium-sized companies don't really even have them. They have the job posting website. That's literally just a bucket that you're dropping your resume into with very little, um, it's very almost not robust at all.
0: What do you think about the process or the strategy of keyword stuffing your resume then to match the job description? I mean, I hear some, what I consider crazy things like put the entire job description in a micro dot and make the micro dot a period on your resume or put the keywords in the same color font as the background like white you know for most people using word so that the keywords are all there what do you think of that whole concept
1: okay i've i've heard of this too and i've heard of people even going as far as writing programming so that they get you can hide macros behind <laughs> you know on the on the back side really the invisible side of a of a word document or a pdf um, that is lengthy. If you have the amount of time and ingenuity to, um, <laughs> to put all of that effort into uh, creating a, uh, a, an elaborate resume in order to attract um, a machine, then uh, I think your efforts could probably be focused better elsewhere. <laughs> you, keywords can be important because you know whether it's a machine reviewing it or a, uh, or a person, you know, having the qualifications is critical. So if you're gonna spend any time working on a section of your resume that will benefit you most as it relates to the job description, focus on the skills and the experience section and make sure that the education matches. You know, a lot of applicant tracking systems, they have knockout questions, right? You've probably applied for a job and right at the end it says, do you have five years experience in X? Do you have a, uh, I don't know, uh, have you taken a course in Excel? Have you, because those are questions that does actually dump that resume into a not qualified file. Uh, so just make sure that your, um, your skills and experience match with what's on the resume. We get a lot of resumes. I have, I'll open a position for a chief operating officer and I will have brand new students fresh out of school, you know, applying for that role you're not going to get that job. (laughs) I understand the concept of throwing a wide net, but that might be a little too wide. Then think about the future. You may want to apply for a job at that company a few months down the road that you are qualified for. We can see that you also, four months ago, thought you were qualified to be the chief operating officer. I've already now questioned your judgment.
0: That is a great Point for job seekers to realize that there are what I call red flags that job seekers can put up unintentionally. And that is exactly one of them. I have a conversation almost every day about being realistic about what you're qualified for. You should have no expectation to get a response if you're not truly qualified for a position you're applying for.
1: Exactly.
0: What about referrals? How do you feel about referrals and job seekers having referrals into companies as compared to just applying blind? Do you give a candidate some extra human eye time if somebody within your company comes over and says, hey, Michael, this is a friend of mine who's really interested in working here. Does that hold any weight for you?
1: Absolutely, all recruiters love referrals. If they don't love referrals, they they might need to seek a different job. Those referrals are gold. If you've got an employee that is a good employee and they know someone who is looking for a role, you know, a friend or a family member, um, there's that old adage: "Birds of a feather flock together." well if i like this bird that works here i'd like to see some of the other birds in their flock right and and think about that reduces the amount of time and effort that the recruiting staff is having to spend on that one role hiring managers love referrals too especially from those employees that they you know that are their top performers or or just you know the solid worker because they make that assumption too well if you if you know and uh, value this person, and I value you through the transitive property of value. I'm probably going to like your your referral.
0: How do job seekers get those referrals? What do they need to do? I mean, I agree with you. They're golden, right? How does a job seeker get one?
1: Are you asking how do they get? How do they let me, the recruiter, know that they were a referral?
0: No, like if I, you know, let's. So referrals are going to come from having a pretty strong network right? Uh You you need to know people to get referred in. If I haven't necessarily spent a lot of time networking, but now I'm job seeking, do you have any tips and tricks on how I could get referred to you?
1: Well, I, I mean, this is an opinion. It may sound a little harsh, but if you don't actually know someone in my company and you are seeking out a person to create a relationship with, for the purpose of getting a job, I will see through that pretty quickly. It it wouldn't put you at the top of my list.
0: That's interesting. You know, I talk all the time about building a trusted network. I had a friend the other day say, What is it? You need to prime the pump before you need it, right? It so um, our
1: grandparents and parents and all, all of those adults who were preaching to us as we were growing up. It's all about who you know. What they were trying to say to you is, you're going to need a network as an adult <laughs> and start building that now because that the network of you know, your friends and family and, your, and people that you've uh, worked with or, or um, worked with in an ancillary fashion through different organizations is going to, in your career, pay such dividends. It's, it's really invaluable.
0: I can't agree more. All right, let's transition to interviewing. We talked about resumes. Do you think there's really a common set of questions that interviewers ask you? See this on so many blogs out there. 10 most popular interview questions. I mean, even LinkedIn gives you if you have a premium subscription, a list of the most popular interview questions. Is that really a thing?
1: Well, yes, and I think it's unfortunate because you know, people's people are not cogs in A machine. Everyone is different. Now, with a caveat, when I have new managers, I will give them guidelines about what questions that they probably would want to ask and the list of things that they absolutely should avoid at all costs. Because not everyone is familiar with the law as well as your HR professionals are. But I hate canned questions. If you're hiring for particular roles, let's just say you're hiring a class of 20 people for. Um, a new call center division. The questions you ask each of those people should be very similar, right? You're going to want to have your list of things you want to hit and not deviate too far away from those questions only because you might find yourself in a situation where you've asked a question that would be inappropriate of maybe someone in a protected class. But then again, your experienced interviewers, your experienced hiring managers, they've heard from their HR and legal departments enough preaching about how to interview the right way that um, I'm just, I'm not really a big fan of, of canned questions. I know very large companies that, that do that. Every candidate gets the exact same list of questions. That'd be a tough recruiting job for me. I, I couldn't sit on repeat for that long.
0: Well, then I guess that's job seeker tip if you are interviewing at a large company, search online for the interview questions. You can find
1: them. You, you really can find them on Glassdoor, on LinkedIn. People love to leave reviews about their interview experience. They'll give you the whole list.
0: Let's talk about video interviews and not video interviews live, but the pre-taped video interviews. I hate to even call them like the new interviewing method, because it's been around for quite some time. But I feel like because of pandemic, we're starting to see a lot more companies that are engaging and using these pre-screening video interviews first, right? They'll either send you a couple interview questions, you can tape your answer, you can maybe sometimes have a few tries at taping your answer, you can have time to prep. What's your take on those types of interviews? And what tips and tricks can you give for job seekers?
1: I'm going to start with my opinion which is probably well i know it's not popular because i've had people on my team and in my networking group tell me that they think i'm crazy i do not like taped video interviews i know that a lot of that comes down to my own personality i'm a i'm a people person face to face i'm the guy in the office who doesn't call your phone i get up and walk all the way downstairs to your desk (laughs) so that I can look you in the eyes while we're talking. Now, I know that's just me, but I also feel like from the candidate perspective, this is why I, whenever I'm asked about it, I discourage companies from adopting these platforms. If I'm the candidate and I get a link with some questions where I'm going to have to record my answers and then send them back, that seems so impersonal to me. If that were to happen to me, I would think, is this company really dedicated to finding the right candidate do they really are they really interested in me or am i just going through a process because it happens to be one of their processes just it's a little too in, impersonal for me i can understand why there are some situations where it, and why definitely now with the pandemic it's becoming more and more prevalent because there are efficiencies there you know i can i can reach a larger number of people limited calendar space. I haven't yet come to a situation where I didn't have enough people on my team to, to do the live calls. So I, you know, I, I don't wanna discourage other folks who really need those. From a recruiting perspective, I don't wanna watch a video. I wanna be able to ask follow-up questions ad hoc. You give me an answer, that might lead me to you know a more focused follow-up answer. Can't do that if you've if you've recorded your answers. Two, it tells the person you've got multiple opportunities here. So every single answer can be really your your best canned response. And I like to see how people, you know, operate on their feet.
0: You know, it's funny. I share your opinion from the recruiting standpoint. I think they're weird to sit and watch taped interviews. <laughs> to be honest. And it may be because I also like to have the interaction and the engagement, right? Um, I don't like to sit and just watch a taped video that somebody did. It's honestly, for lack of better word, it's kind of weird to me.
1: I'll show my age here, but, um, and you, I don't, you may remember way back, uh, gosh, it was, I guess the eighties and early nineties, they had video dating. Yeah, you've either seen it or you've probably seen a movie that, that reflects back on that where the person is is uh, giving a speech about themselves and why they should be attractive to potential dates. It reminds me of that. And I just say it, it seems so silly. <laughs> That's great.
0: Hey, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see people make? And I know this is a very general statement in an interview.
1: Um, forgetting the manners that they were raised with. Okay. People get nervous and will just completely flub up all of the social protocols. Back when we were allowed to shake hands with one another, that, was, that would be something people would miss. You know, a, a new interviewer walks into the room and the candidate doesn't stand to shake the hand of the new person that's walked into the room. That seems like a dying art. I hate to, I hate to blame everything on, on the youth, but <laughs> I do see that happen in, you know, younger and younger candidates listening. I find that candidates, they think they've heard your question because they started formulating the answer to your question before you got halfway through it. So they didn't really listen to what you were you were asking. Um, and, you know, a lot of these things are, are because, you know, an, an interview can be very, very nerve-wracking, especially for people who don't do it very often. So the best tips... Um, Make sure that you, you know, take a few deep breaths before you walk into the interview. Dress for the job that you're going to get. Never assume that because on a company's website that they say it's casual dress here. At my office, we have casual dress. Everyone can wear jeans to work every day. Um, You know, a polo shirt is fine. It's not a business dress at all. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't arrive at the interview professionally dressed you should always arrive at an interview professionally dressed even if the person that's interviewing you is in jeans and a t-shirt it doesn't really matter what the interview has on it's the candidate that needs to put their best foot forward so you know just manners and professionalism and there are lots of websites out there you can just google you know interview prep and find all kinds of really good ideas about how to um, you know do some breathing exercises before you walk into the room how to, uh, how to dress, what to bring with you, the number of candidates that come to an interview, they don't have anything to write with or on, big no-no. How did you think this was gonna go here? You know, we <laughs> you're probably gonna need to take a note or two, but they, it, it, it eludes them.
0: Those are great tips. Let me ask you something that we hear all the time. Does a candidate need to include a cover letter? No. Do you read them?
1: Nope. I haven't read a cover letter in probably six years.
0: You know how long job seekers take writing cover letters? Yep. They will literally <laughs> spend hours trying to pick the right words. And I tell them all the time, recruiters don't read them. We don't have enough time. There's just not you enough You can't
1: read a cover letter. Think, like we mentioned earlier, you're getting hundreds, if not thousands of resumes. And then there's this cover letter. Well, If it's not in the resume, then it doesn't really need to be in the cover letter. I'm going to learn about you, you know, because a lot of people put those personal aspects into their cover letter. I'll learn those things about you when we get on the phone together. And I know a lot of career services offices at schools, they encourage students to write cover letters too. I wish they would stop. I wish the whole concept and the whole practice would just go the way of the dinosaur. It's unnecessary.
0: I'm completely with you. I have a conversation, I just literally, I've labeled it to cover letter or not. That's the question. <laughs> and I personally, you know, I work in the IT world, right? And I tell IT people all the time, don't don't waste your time. There's not a technical recruiter out there reading a cover letter.
1: No, 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 it's not, we, there's just not enough time. We have to be, be efficient.
0: Yeah, and I think it goes back to your tip you know what, instead of spending that time writing a cover letter, spend that time doing something else like expanding your network or, you know, building better trusted relationships with whomever is in your network, so.
1: Absolutely, much more fruitful practices for your time.
0: Sure, so my final question for you, what sincere advice would you give your best friend if they were just laid off, We're in the middle of a pandemic, if they had to start job searching? What would you tell your best friend, your sibling?
1: Well, if it were my best friend right now, I would tell her to give me her resume so that I can tweak it and then send it out to my network of 400 plus recruiters. (laughs) But not everybody has that option, right? I would tell a job seeker, my friend, family member, or really anyone, treat finding a job like a job. You have to set a schedule for yourself. You have to be diligent about it. If you're out of work, you get up every morning at the same time that you normally would have to go to work. You take your shower, you get dressed and then you put your dedicated time in front of your computer. It is extremely important that you manage your time wisely. Do treat finding a job like like you have a job because there are lots of folks out there who are not gonna be as diligent and it will definitely pay off for you by the time folks like me receive those resumes, I, I'm gonna be able to see through that piece of paper and into the amount of time and dedication that you spent working on it. It will show that it was important to you and it wasn't something that you uh, just threw together between episodes of Friends.
0: And you know, that is so important because as recruiters, hiring managers, individuals on the talent acquisition side, we really can see Mm-hmm. And the dedication and the commitment.
1: So. Yes, you. It's it, you can read between the lines.
0: Michael, thank you so much for your time. Do you can the listeners connect with you? Where can we find you?
1: Absolutely, I'd be happy to. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's just Michael Terry. I'm in, uh, you know, in Tampa. I'll also leave you my work email address. Um, anyone can reach me there. It's a bit lengthy, so bear with me. Michael dot Terry. That's T as in Tom, E-R-R-Y, at bankersfinancialcorp.com.
0: Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for your commitment to helping job seekers all over the country learn the tips and the tricks that they need to find employment that they're seeking. So thank you again.
1: Absolutely. My pleasure.
0: And that's a wrap for today's episode of Talent Acquisition Talks. I don't know about you, but I have some great takeaways. Good luck in your job search and feel free to reach out to us at computercoach.com if you have any questions or ideas you would like us to cover in an upcoming episode.